This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. I'm David Koch, and that means it must be just gone midday Eastern Standard Time because it is time for the call. 10 stocks that you've nominated, analysed by a panel of two experts, and we get through them all in 60 minutes. Great to have your company for the next hour or so. Uh, Welcome to our expert panel Again today, Andrew Page from strawman.com. Uh, Andrew, welcome. G'day, David. Good to be here. Good uh, uh, Good week so far? Very good week, yes. Okay. <laughs> lots, of new, lots of new sign-ups for Strawman, which is great. Yeah, everything's moving in the right direction, mm. so, so we're really happy. Give us, while we're talking about that, give us a quick plug. Um, what is the straw man website for people who are interested who want to go and have a look yeah look it's essentially a social platform that's just designed specifically for investors so we're just trying to bring a bit of accountability and structure to the online debate um and i guess it's really best thought of as just an investment club so you've got a virtual portfolio um of hundred thousand dollars you can manage that give you a bit of experience and practice in the market and also follow those people that have got some really great track records. And there are some incredible yeah. investors on there with yeah. some eye-watering returns. So it's a it's a really nice little club. And um, yeah, we're just getting started, but uh, everything, yeah, we've got about 8,000 um, members on there at the moment. So we're really happy. Perfect. Uh, and Michael Wayne from Medallium Financial. Michael, good to see you again. Good to be back. Tell us about Medallium. Well, we're more of an old school model, private wealth firm with a focus on Australian equities, primarily in the ASX 300. Most of our clients are self-managed super funds, so we're not really oh. delving into the specy end or the corporate finance end right. of the market. But look, we've had a, a good couple of years. We sort of look to bring opportunities to clients that they wouldn't have thought of themselves. Oh. Obviously, there's a big focus on banks and miners in Australia, but we've been able to bring people's attention towards many healthcare companies, tech businesses, uh, and that's allowed us to perform quite well. Right. So fingers crossed that momentum can continue in the years ahead. Yep, check them out. We love our expert panellists. And uh, it also, you're watching this channel because you're interested in the markets. And that's why we love bringing you the experts. So you can go and uh, have a look at other opinions or align yourself with experts that really do suit you. My always, my advice to people is your best advice is uh, your best investment is good advice. And um, hopefully that's what we bring you through our experts here today. All right, let's get stuck straight into it. Ten stocks that you've nominated, but we always kick off the day with our stock of the day, a stock that's in the news. And uh, today our stock is one of the favourites from the call, let me tell you, Technology One. Uh, yesterday announced a 6% growth in first half profit, forecasting 12% for the full year, underpinned by continuing strong demand from its uh, ERP solution. The software company also released a 7% rise in revenue, uh, even in the midst of COVID-19. 
Andrew Page, this is a bit of a darling of the call, particularly from uh, Rudy Philippek Van Dyke from FN Arena, has been banging on about this stock, I reckon, for two months. Um, he's convinced a couple of others on the call that he's um, uh, to his ways and uh, loves this stock and it's has been at a record high the last week. Uh, what do you reckon of Technology One? Yeah, look, Rudy's a smart guy and he's got every reason to like this business. Um, this, you know, stocks come and go in, in terms of investor favour, but it's always worth, in my view, to sort of pan back and have a look at look at a business and what it's done over the long term. And here you've got a business that re really, since the last 10 years, it's grown its earnings per share in this lovely, consistent line. It looks like a perfect staircase, and it's quite a steep staircase too. So that, that per share earnings growth has been 13% since 2010. It's got incredibly sticky revenues. They generate a net margin, Koshi, of 20%. Now, Whoa. any business that can do that, that, wow. that that that's after tax. That's after cost. That's after everything. I wish I could get that um, in my family business. <laughs> not many, not many businesses can do Jeez. that. Um, and, and, and you know, so it, the, that is that is a really clear signal that they have got substantial pricing power. That they've got serious competitive advantages. And you know, at the, you, the, another metric that's always worth talking about is the return on equity, the, the profitability that they have relative to the equity in the business, and that's been nudging thirty percent for again the last ten years or so. Wow. So this has all of the characteristics that you like, and even when you look at the forecast, um, the consensus forecast there is for this double-digit rate of earnings growth to continue. So a lot of things to like. One thing that you might be a little bit cautious of is the price. So these uh, <laughs> shares are trading on a price earnings multiple of about 50. Wow. So as we've talked about many times, you can actually do pretty poorly in a wonderful business if you overpay. The caveat here is that you don't want to overthink it too much for super high quality businesses. So if you're waiting for this to come back to a PE of 15, you'll probably never get it. So you don't want to be too fussy. But for me personally, I, I don't own it. I would love to own it. Um, it, it's, it's just a little bit too expensive at okay. this stage. Michael? I, I tend to agree with most things that were said just then. Um, it's a business that we have held in the past. Uh, we actually exited it around the middle of last year, so probably left a bit on the table looking at today's price. Yep. Uh, for the reason that Andrew touched upon, that it is very expensive uh, at sort of 40, 50 times earnings. It is growing its earnings still, sort of around 6 7%. But our view was that there were other technology businesses out there on similar multiples, pretty expensive, but we're growing their earnings, their revenues a lot quicker. The thing with Technology One is they have been listed on the ASX for a very long time. There's still a lot of founder involvement. I think this, the, the founder is still involved with the business in some capacity. He's the major shareholder as well. So they do have the runs on the board. And obviously, if you've got a good track record over a couple of decades, then the market's going to let you trade at a bit of a premium. Yep. Um, they have also adapted their business model in recent times away from sort of that perpetual license model to that software as a service yep. style business, which has worked so well for many companies in the tech space. So now I think you move on to sort of a, a five-year license, then it changes after five years to an annual sort of license from there. And that's helped them grow their recurring mm -hmm. revenue significantly. Although the growth in that software as a service side of the business has actually started to slow. I think last year was around 50% growth in that part of the business. This year, still high levels of growth at the 38, but it's obviously slowing a little bit. The reasons that we sold out in the middle of last year, not only valuation, but they had a, 
an ongoing legal battle with Brisbane City Council. Right. A lot of their customers are large governments, large corporations, councils, etc. Um, and they also had a bit of an issue with their servicing side of the business. Right. I think they have overcome most of those issues. Um, so it's certainly something we would look at on a significant pullback. But again, we just think that it's a pretty competitive field, that tech space these yeah. days. Um, and we just think there's probably better alternatives right. out there. So good company. Great company, no doubt about just it. Just a bit expensive. Mm-hmm. Rudy did, because it's, a, as you saw from the charter, record highs yeah. even well, with what's ha- happening today. Rudy said, hey, when the earnings come out, it will probably go down yeah. because everyone was anticipating. Well, expectations. And, so and that would be, and could come down substantially. Well, it did come down yesterday, but is way back up today. <laughs> <laughs> it only lasted a day. Great company, uh, something to watch on a pullback. All right, let's get into your, um, into your stocks now. Um, first one, Michael. What the still the world's biggest media company is if you yep. take out the the fangs if you like the digital but old school media company and News Corp. Well, that's the thing. The News Corp in Australia is slightly different to what you get on say that the US uh, stock market. Um, basically, News Corp in Australia, you've got the the newspapers, the, the Australian, yep. for instance. You've got Foxtel. Um, you've got a, a big stake in realestate.com, so they do have a bit of exposure to that digital space. Yep. Um, they've got access to the Wall Street Journal, access, sorry, the ownership of the Wall Street Journal, Dow Jones, for instance, as well, a couple of book publishing businesses. Yep. So you've got a couple of interesting sort of new age style companies mixed in with a lot of old world businesses as well. And, and in the media space, there's no doubt that the landscape's changing immensely. There's a shift to online, like we see with sort of Ausbiz, for instance, away yep. from those traditional mediums. And the advertising dollars are shifting as well. So for us, um, it's hard to get all aspects of that business moving in the right direction. Uh, and for that reason, we aren't interested in it. Not to, right. look, notwithstanding the fact, out of all the companies in the media space, News Corp has probably got the balance sheet, the cash flow, yeah. in order to withstand the changes. And you, you and look to, at that five-year chart yeah. as well, before the crash yeah. in March, it was back at really high levels, well, wasn't it? The global economy was doing quite well. Advertising was picking yeah, up. Um, it has trended sideways, though, mostly over yeah. that time frame. And that probably goes Fair to enough. the fact that it is hard to get all aspects of that company moving yeah. in the right direction at once. You might have REA doing incredibly well at one point, but then the newspaper business might be struggling, yeah. etc. So for us, um, it's not a buy. Obviously, it's a good quality business, and they are well capitalised to try and fight back and combat some of the moves that we're seeing in the right. online space. So you can watch that space. I'm sure they'll come up with some way to adapt over time. But at the moment, Foxtel's struggling. Yeah. Um, the newspaper business is, isn't doing that well. Um, but the REA is the cross ownership, if you like, that they have. That's holding up quite well. Right. Andrew, what do you reckon of news? Yeah, I hate it. Um, wouldn't go near it with the 10-foot pole. I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy it with your money, as they say. Um, it's It's... Look, it's a big company for sure, but like all of the major assets there are facing, these aren't, every business faces challenges and there's always some cyclicality in business, but these are, these are long-term structural issues. I mean, we've seen what's happened in this space and this is only going to get worse. So um, I just think, you know, you look at the, the share price, I think tells a really good story. They've, not only have shares gone sideways for three years, but five years, but also 10 years. I mean, they've just reported an 8% decline in their latest in revenues in their latest quarter they've had huge big write downs um that are there 
And, you know, if, if you if you look at, I had to dig up the, the consensus forecast from analysts who follow it much more closely than, than I do. And even if you look at the FY 2021 earnings, they're trading on a PE of 62 times next year's earnings. They're trading on 22 times FY 22 earnings. So you're paying a really, really high wow. multiple. That's for the same as technology. Sailing. Right, you know, and it's sailing into the wind in a massive way. Um, frankly, if I'm being honest, I've got some pretty serious ethical issues with it. It's a highly nepotistic business. You know, you're, you're, you're really along for the ride here. Um, and again, look, the other thing is, is as I know I often re repeat myself here, but as a, as a private investor, your job is to sort of hold the best 20, maybe 30 companies out there. And this isn't even in the top 100. So, so maybe they'll go all right. Maybe you can, you, you can um, paint a picture where they pivot um, really well and they're still around and far more profitable in the future. But there's a lot of challenge there. And, um, and for me, it's, it's just I'm not interested at all. Okay. All right. A note from Andrew and Michael on News Corp. Uh, our second stock, South Australians know this iconic Seedlink Travel. They own the car ferry across to Kangaroo Island and um, uh, turned it into a, into a more diversified travel business, though. Um, Andrew, what do you think of Seedlink? Yeah, so this was a very interesting one. Obviously, tourism exposure. So when, yep. when the um, uh, pandemic really started to gain traction, these guys were knocked to six. We saw their share price halve from one point. Interestingly enough, as you can see on the chart there, they had a really strong rebound. In fact, shares up about 50% from the bottom. So anyone who was lucky enough to sort of catch that has, has done pretty well since then. Um, and I think they, they said themselves around about that time is that, look, you've got to understand, yes, we're a tourism uh, company, but 85% of our revenues come from these very long-term government contracts, more in, in public transport than anything else. Um, so there's, and, and these are considered an essential service. So it, it's, it, it deserves to come back. Absolutely, it does. There's still 15% of their business, which is extremely uncertain for a long, long time. Um, but it's just not as bad as, as it could have been. Look for me, it, it doesn't it doesn't have the kind of characteristics that I, that I tend to like. It's a very asset heavy business. Um, it's great to have long term government contracts, but you can't really flex any pricing power here. On, on one hand, you could sort of say, look, they've got a lot of mon monopoly style assets. I mean, how many ferries can you have going to Kangaroo Island and back? You know, but you can't exploit that monopoly. You know, the government's not going to say, yeah, charge whatever you like. Yeah. So, so they have this limit on the on the amount of money that they that they can charge. Um, it, there's competitive tenders that they're going to face on a, on a fairly regular basis. Look, the balance sheet is in great shape. Um, will they be around in five, ten years? I'm sure they will. Will they be earning materially more than they are today on an inflation-adjusted basis? I don't know. And you're still paying 18 times earnings for that. So, um, mm -hmm. for me, for me, it's there's just again better opportunities out there. Yeah. Okay, Michael, well um, run, good yeah, board. But... Well run, good business, um, good contracts, good assets, yeah. but you're sort of sacrificing future growth for your earnings certainty. Right. Um, so they've got earnings certainty, good contracts, they've got some key sort of routes, not only transporting people um, for tourism purposes, but for normal logistic purposes, they transport freight as well. Um, they do run a lot of tourism businesses, though, on the side. Yeah. Things not on the side, but sort of as a smaller part of their, their operations. Things like Captain Cook Cruises, which will take a long, long time to get back to full capacity. Um, so for us, perspective, it just hasn't got the earnings growth 
long term to justify uh, investing in this from a growth perspective. Um, and given that uncertainty factor as well, we'll be steering clear. Yeah. So good solid business, good solid yeah. assets, good big contracts. But is this a, sort of a bit of a, a lesson for investors, though, that that for, to be a growth stock, um, it's got to have a bit of a wow factor that I they, so. they haven't got yet? Particularly in the low growth world where economic growth is pretty low, you've obviously right. got very low interest rates. Um, investors tend to be sort of congregating in areas of the market where there is those growth figures. Right. And that's why I think you've seen tech do so well. People are herding into the tech space because at least they're delivering 10, 20% growth. Yeah. Similar sort of story in healthcare. So I think in order to capture the attention of the market, you need to be having some growth. Yeah. They have tried recently C-Link um, in that they acquired a business called Transit Systems, which is the largest operator in Australia of metropolitan buses. So again, these will be long-term contracts with governments, um, local governments, state governments, etc. They do have operations, I think, in Singapore and London as well, this transit system. So that's one aspect that might drive some growth. But again, that business is more aligned to contract certainty rather than going to deliver yeah. enormous increases like, in revenue. Uh, Andrew was saying yeah. it's always up for tender. That's right. Pressures. Yeah. Okay. Our third stop, Michael, um, I had never heard of it before, Keener Securities. Then I looked it up and the name gives it away. Uh, it's a financial services group, a um, whole range of products from loans to advice wealth management, but based in Papua New Guinea, obviously, yeah. which is where the Kena comes from in the name. <laughs> Stupid not to pick that up, but anyhow. <laughs> well, I'm, I must admit, until recently, I hadn't heard of it either. Um, yeah. But basically, from my research as well, not that it's one that we're that familiar with, the fourth largest bank in Papua New Guinea, the smallest yep. bank in Papua New Guinea, um, they are on the face of it quite profitable relative to other financial institutions around the world. There are, however, a couple of glaring issues from my view with this company, the first one being the high level of non-performing loans um, on their balance sheet, which haven't yet seen impairments put against them. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, Also, they generate a significant portion of their revenue from Papua New Guinea government securities or government uh, treasuries. So obviously, they're very aligned in that situation to what occurs with Papua New Guinea as a, a government and as an economy. Uh, and that's probably something that's high risk and something that most investors wouldn't want to be exposed to that much. So, look, one positive is that in Papua New Guinea, it's a pretty narrow market when it comes to financial services. There isn't that many competitors. There isn't any um, sort of emerging digital banks coming and undercutting them on price. So they do have a pretty strong competitive position. But in saying that, it becomes very difficult for them to grow uh, their competitive position also. They're the uh, with, fourth largest. They're the fourth largest. Right. So okay. unless they start cutting prices or, or reducing their net interest margin, which has been coming right. down, it's hard to see a way that they're going to grow that market share. Okay, so still pretty traditional. They're not, for example, the Macquarie Bank equivalent. Well, they they have aspects to their business, I think, that are more along those lines of right. an investment bank and a securities firm. But I think right. the core business is still your traditional, your traditional mortgages and, and lending. Right. Okay. Andrew? Yeah, not for me. Um, for, all, for all of those reasons that Michael just mentioned, um, big sovereign risk, also currency risk um, folded in into that uh, as well, uh, which is which is difficult. One thing you might want to watch out for as well, it's extremely illiquid. I just had a quick look then. There's been 33 trades placed 
Perkina Securities today. So um, why is that a risk? Well, it means that if you do hold shares in this and for any reason you want to get out, particularly if you want to get out in a hurry, it's, it's, it's probably not going to be the liquidity there. So for all of these reasons, it's it's not that exciting for me. And frankly, I'm, I'm a big believer in sort of staying within your circle of competence. And I know next to nothing about Papua New Guinea. So it's just, you know, it, for those that have a really clear view on, on that economy and its, uh, its, its structure and its, its longer term outlook, there's, there's probably a case to be made. And interestingly enough, I talked before about how, you know, everything is in the price. Well, the PE here is six. Um, the <laughs> dividend yield is 10%. So, so that makes you, you know, that, that, that could probably entice some people in. But, but again, I would stress very, very carefully, you know, make sure you know what you're doing. You, you really need to sort of have a, a very a good perspective of, of what's happening in that, in that geographical location uh, within that legal framework. I know next to nothing about it. And for that reason alone, it's something I wouldn't buy. Okay, right. 10% yields, pretty good. <laughs> it's one of those Sounds all right. year traps. So that's the thing you've got to be careful of. It sucks you in with a low PE, high dividend. And that's a, a mistake I think a lot of investors often yeah. make. No, there's a reason why that dividend yield is so high. And there's a reason why the PE is so low. There's obviously a fair bit of risk associated with this company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Great advice. Uh, our fourth stock, um, Andrew, is IPH. Um, basically in the intellectual property services area, isn't it? Registering, managing into intellectual properties, protecting it. Yeah, this is a really interesting company and there's a lot of um, things I like about this. This is a very old company. In fact, its origins go yeah. back to 1887. Um, and it was only really uh, listed, I think, in about 2014 because they were, there were changes that were made to the Patents Act that allowed these kinds of firms to list. Um, and it's actually done pretty well um, since then. So it's got it's got some nice characteristics. So there's a long the, the patent application process is a long process, and and so they they clip the ticket so to speak. They earn fees throughout that process, and then they move into this renewal and protection phase, and that phase can last up to twenty years. So there's a lovely sort of recurring element to their to their revenues. They are actually providing protection services to some patents that go back over a hundred years. Um, uh, that's that's the exception, but on average, you're looking at about 20 year type thing. So it's a lovely long tail, very, very sticky customers. A lot of the kind of terms you might use for a software company, you wouldn't expect necessarily for a legal services company. Um, and, and, and so for those reasons, I think it's very interesting. Um, they've got a high return on equity. Dividends have been steadily increasing uh, since about 2016, about 6% per annum. Taking again a look at, at the consensus forecast, we're seeing um, the, the, the analysts who cover this very closely sort of calling for growth of around about 10% per annum in, in earnings per share going forward. Um, and, you know, for, for a yield of about 3.6%, it's not fully frank, but it's partially frank. So you're probably looking at a grossed up yield there of four odd percent. Whack on that growth to that, and you're probably looking at an at an average total shareholder return over the next five years of something that's around ten percent or so, just to thumb suck it, which ain't too bad at all. So um, uh, I, I think it's very interesting. I I don't own it. Um, I have recommended it in the past, um, but it's one that I need to take a closer look at. But I, I I would be I would be very interested to dive deeper into it. I think it's got some good potential. Okay. 
Michael? Yeah, look, it's one I looked at a number of years ago, just after it listed, because it was a, yeah. an unbelievable IPO at the time. It was for, for considering the size, I think it was up three or four times on the IPO price. And then it sort of came back to earth and has since recovered somewhat. Um, it's an interesting business, but I don't quite get my head around it, exactly how they go about sort of making money and the recurring revenue aspect of things. And there's a big portion of this business that's required to go out and keep bringing in new patents and new business. And I think there's an element of risk associated with that because this is a company that's been doing a lot of acquisitions, particularly in Asia and China. That's the epicenter globally now when it comes to new intellectual property and patent submissions, etc. Um, so for mine, I'm probably best if I don't go into it in that much detail because I just don't know enough to talk about it and give it any right. decent advice. But it's a, definitely an interesting company in a niche space um, yeah. that in many ways is probably uncorrelated to the broader index. People and large corporations are still going to continue to renew their patents in many cases. They're going to continue to try and get new patents put on different products and inventions. Um, so I still I think there's a, definitely an element that could be attractive to an investor, but I just don't understand the business well enough. Yeah. Michael, um, one that's come up a couple of times here on the call, Integrative Research. It's a man software management business for basically a payments platform, yep. isn't it? Uh, infrastructure communication. Yeah, so it's like um, software diagnostics for key yeah. uh, IT infrastructure, such as your payments, for instance. Um, it's again a more like T and E Technology One, an old school Australian tech business that probably doesn't get the accolades or the recognition that many of these modern day tech yeah. businesses are getting. It's been around for a fairly long time. It's well used across the world. I'm looking at some of the stats. Nine yeah, out of ten share prices come back too, hasn't it? It had a good, well, decent update yesterday. Um, nine out of ten U.S. banks, for instance, use their services. About mm -hmm. 125 of the Fortune 500 companies in the U.S. use their services. So it's by no means um, some sort of tiny, insignificant company. Um, they service a number of companies, I think at one, at 1, 000, over 1,000 businesses around the world. They generate 95% of their earnings overseas, which is a trait that we like for a company, uh, particularly in the, in the IT space, and that's obviously a growing market. You get access to different areas and different industries. Um, not, I think it's 85% recurring revenue stream, so it just shows you how sticky they're their customers tend to be. Yeah. Uh, and the numbers yesterday were okay. I mean, it's delivering growth um, in their subscription software as a service model by about 7%. Um, the problem that our integrated research has had in recent years is they've had a lot of management turnover, senior management yeah. turnover, and their European business was struggling there for some time. But if you look at their balance sheet, they've had a pretty good run over the last 10 years or so with a little bit of a hiccup in the last couple of years. But it seems like they're starting to iron some of those issues that they were having out and look, it's a business that I think has some merit in doing some further research into. It only trades on about 23, 24 times earnings, yep. which compared to some of the other tech businesses out there isn't that expensive, yet its growth rates probably aren't as attractive as some of the other ones either. So it's that, that again, that value trade-off that you've got to make. Do you want to sacrifice growth for better value? Um, that's the question. Yep. Okay. Andrew? Yeah, I really like it. Um, uh, I've, I own shares in it, so there's the first disclosure. Um, and it ranks very highly in, in strawman. And for a lot of the reasons that Michael just highlighted, um, talking about high net margins, these guys have also been doing 20% net margins for a very long time as well. Return on equity, I think about 38% or something like that. It's, it's, it's really insanely profitable business. Sticky revenues, 
a lot of offshore earnings in there, uh, lots of recurring revenue, all of that kind of stuff. This is mission critical software to their clients. So even if their clients get into a bit of trouble, this is not the kind of thing that you think that you can live without. Like it is, it is, it is absolutely essential to have. They are the global leaders in this space and have been for, for quite a while. Uh, anyone who's held shares in this has done really well. Shares up three times, threefold, 200% in the last uh, five years and sevenfold increase in the last decade. Um, Michael's absolutely right. They have had some hiccups. It's actually something that I, I really like to um, look out for is when you have a really uh, a structurally attractive business that gets into short-term difficulties, difficulties that you know no one likes to see, but don't point to the longer-term uh, fundamental attractiveness of the business. So they had some real execution problems over in Europe. And so the market being, you know, uh, always focused on super short-term stuff, sold shares off. So I was able to recommend this on Strawman at $1.80 something uh, back in 2018. Um, because the market, again, was just so worried about how, how things were tracking on a short-term basis. But anyone and frankly, this is your biggest advantage as a, as a private investor, is an ability to look out beyond the next year or two. So anyone who can keep their eye on the horizon and sort of ask themselves, where is this business in the next three years, in the next five years, you can get this wonderful, what they call time arbitrage, where it might mean that you have to suffer a bit of volatility in the short term. But because all of the investment community is focused on the next quarter, the next half, maybe the next mm -hmm. year's worth of earnings, you get a huge advantage here. And so I think it's really attractive and they pay a dividend. So so is growth going to be as strong as it is for the afterpays and zeros of this world? It's not. But, you know, these guys are also paying a three and a half percent grossed up dividend, likely to grow at an upper single digit rate for a long, long time to come. Very low risk, no debt, oodles of cash on the balance sheet. I just think it's a classic bottom draw stock. I'm happy to hold it. Okay. Uh, would you buy it at around these low $3 mark? Yeah, I would actually. So it's a, it's a really good question because I, I kind of think that if you're happy to hold it right now, you should be happy to buy it. The market doesn't know what you paid for your shares. So I like to, I like to sort of say to people, imagine if you woke up this morning and your broker had accidentally liquidated your entire portfolio. You know, would you, if they said, we'll pick up any tax burden or any transaction costs, would you buy back into the same shares in the same proportions? And if you wouldn't, I think that's a very strong signal as to as to what you should be doing. So the short answer is, yes, I would. And if, if you wouldn't be prepared to buy today, you shouldn't really be prepared to hold today. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, halfway through our top 10 stocks on the call for this Wednesday afternoon, just to recap the first 10. Technology One, great company, bit expensive, look at a pullback, a big pullback. Uh, News Corp are no, uh, Seedlink are no, Kena Securities are no. Uh, IPH, worth looking at for Andrew, he's got a, um, sparked his interest. Um, a no from Michael on it, and integrated research, no from Michael, a yes from Andrew. Uh, let's get into the second half of the call. And um, Andrew, we'll stick with you on this one. Navigator Global, hadn't heard much about this one, but it's a basically a, a US-based fund manager that, that's listed here, a, a hedge fund. Yeah, yeah, and, and one with uh, an abysmal record as far as I can tell. So I hadn't come across it until this ah. morning and I had a quick look at it. 
So, you know, these guys hit a high in 2018. So Whoa. I think you've got a 12-month chart there. But go yeah. back go back a couple of years and they're down 80% since then. And this isn't this isn't a swing in sentiment either. I mean, their their earnings have just taken a hit. So the funds that they run, the big uh, the lighthouse funds that they run uh, have underperformed the index. Um, and so the way that these guys make money is through the, what they call AUM, assets under management. They take a percentage fee of that. So there's two ways to increase your, your assets under management. You, your portfolios can grow in value. Well, hasn't really been doing that too well. Um, and the other one is because more and more people buy into it. And we've actually seen people selling out um, very sensibly so, I would argue, given given the performance of those funds. So. And even at the best of times, when you look at hedge funds, there are some phenomenal success stories out there. But as an, as an entire industry, I don't think the track record's that great. And, and even the ones that do perform, you have very, very lumpy and inconsistent earnings. They'll knock it out of the park in certain periods, and then they'll just fall flat on their face in others. And so it's, it requires a, an iron constitution. Um, it requires a huge amount of faith in the investment capabilities of, of these people. Um, and, and for me, there's just way too many moving parts. It, it might be a different story if there was a legacy there of incredible performance and value creation for their clients. As far as I can tell, and again, I'm speaking at a, from a fairly naive perspective here, maybe there's some nuance I'm not aware of, but it looks to me as though that isn't there. And so I, I, I'm not interested yeah. for all of those reasons. Yep, Michael. Um, I tend to agree again. Uh, Navigator, from my understanding, is a fund of funds. So basically, they will do their due diligence on various funds in certain areas, and mainly alternative investments in this case, and then they'll direct their investors' cash into right. those various funds. So there's sort of a middle That's middle a bit man, of a middleman, if you, man, like. If you right. like. So clipping the ticket probably in the middle. Yeah. Um, so the problem with alternative investment managers is over the last couple of years, even when the US markets were doing incredibly well, they were underperforming. A lot of hedge funds were underperforming. Um, and in recent times as well, when the markets have pulled back and you would have hoped maybe that some of these hedge funds could provide you some cushioning in a down market, that hasn't turned out. And this is broadly speaking as a hedge fund cohort. Obviously, within that, there's probably been funds that have done quite well, taking advantage of the pullbacks with short positions, etc. But Navigator hasn't been able to deliver that across their products. Um, they do do a few like bespoke mandate products that they put together for people and that's been i think one of their niche products in the past where they're able to tailor strategies to different requirements however in general they've seen huge fund outflows consistently in recent years um, again last month it's not surprising but given the market pullback they've seen further outflows so if your funds under management are declining as andrew touched upon your funds under management fees are falling your admin fees are falling, and if you're not getting good performance, then you're not getting any performance yeah, fees. Yeah. So why would a, investors look at you? <laughs> that's right. So it's a tough environment at the yeah. moment if you're under stress like that. I mean, on the flip side, if you're going to look at a fund manager, someone like Magellan is the opposite case where you're constantly getting new funds under management. Yeah. Performance has been better than the index over a prolonged period of time. So as your funds under management go up, your earnings have been going up because your management fees are increasing, admin fees, performance fees are all moving in the right direction. So your navigator would be a no-go for me. Right. Okay. Uh, stick in the finance space, uh, Michael, what about uh, AUB Group? Now, this is basically an insurance mm -hmm. broker, isn't it, across Australia That's and right. New Zealand? So basically there are two main players in Australia. There is Ausbrokers or the old Ausbrokers, which is now AUB, and yeah. then there's Steadfast Group. Yeah. Both of them are quite similar uh, business models um, in that 
they go around and they have a lot of small suburban insurance brokers basically under their banner, if you like. Yeah. And they're also of a scale now where they're able to offer services to the mortgage brokers that many of the smaller operators can't. So they get a lot of cost efficiencies, etc. So there is definitely a stickiness to being a member, if you like, or a um, or a license or, or a licensee. You sort of sort get of, the, the group. That's right. You get the group services, the group admin, yep. that sort of thing. Access to cheaper uh, rates in the market, and broadly speaking, across the insurance space in recent years, premiums have been going up. Um, so that does obviously help generate revenue and boost revenue. But what's so what Steadfast is able to do, what Ausbrokers is able to do, is they're able to go around and basically buy up small mortgage groups on low yeah. multiples, in sort of private company yeah. multiples, which are often a lot less than what you have to pay on market. They can yeah. incorporate those businesses into their, their model, and then basically the market then values that up on 20 times earnings, what right. the PE that these okay. companies trade under. Our preference is actually for Steadfast Group. We actually okay. kind of like the space because ah. the general thematic and dynamics of the space have been improving significantly. Um, but Steadfast is very similar to Ausbrokers. The only difference is that it has slightly higher growth numbers um, at the moment, earnings growth numbers than, than Ausbrokers, and it's off a smaller base. So it's slightly smaller, but growing quicker. And ah. that's the, the one appealing factor. But either or really they're very similar business models right, at but the you moment prefer, prefer steadfast. steadfast just because it's growing okay. slightly quick more quickly yep. and it's trading on the same multiple essentially oh, okay. so we prefer steadfast for that reason okay um andrew yeah look it, it is pretty interesting um generally as a rule roll-ups are um i mean history would suggest that they they don't have a great track record um probably abc learning is the best example of that but not, not to sort of tar these guys with the same brush because where they, where ABC and others have absolutely destroyed shareholder value, these guys yep. have done quite well at creating it. So they're an incredibly reliable dividend payer. So if you're an income focused investor, it's, it's really worth having a look at. They have increased their dividend each and every year over the last 10 years. And I didn't bother going looking further than that back, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, they, if that's the case for over a longer time frame as well. So you're starting right now at a 3.7% fully franked yield. You factor in those franking credits, you've got you've got a pre-tax yield of 5.2%. And uh, again, it's looking as though these guys should be able to deliver at least sort of up a single digit kind of growth for the coming years. There's a lovely rule of thumb I touched on before. You sort of take that starting yield and add the average growth rate. And that, that's, a, that's a pretty good proxy for what you can expect as a total shareholder return. And, uh, and that, that comes into the double digits. So um, it, it looks pretty attractive. I don't, I'm not as close to it uh, as, as Michael, so I can't speak too intelligently on it, but it's certainly something that I think is, is, is worthy of looking at. All right, our, uh, our eighth stock, um, Andrew, the old Australian Laboratory Services, a, a testing service for the mining industry. I had no idea it was so big, ALS, um, across 65 countries, 13,000 staff. It's a big business. Yeah, yeah. It's a monster, actually. And, and in fact, they've, they've really, you know, over the last 20 years, they've had some really phenomenal top-line growth. I had a look at one of their recent presentations, and they're looking at a CAGR, sorry, a 20% average compound annual growth rate in those revenues since 2000. So they have grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. Um, they really suffered a big knock to their earnings, and as a consequence, their share price. Uh, in the wake of about 2000 and, uh, 
12 or so. And the reason being there is that there was the, um, the end of the mining boom. Um, and so they've got a, they've got a pretty big exposure that, so they do a lot of testing for mining companies in terms of the, the grades of ores mm -hmm. and all the rest of it, they got, they go into it. So they were going to always take a knock from that, but they've really bounced back in, in recent years. Um, in fact, since 2016, the per share earnings growth is 25, 26% per annum mm -hmm. over that period of time. Um, they've continued to diversify. They've got some nice scale advantages um, here. So they operate what's called a hub and spoke model. So they sort of have, they separate their sample collection from their testing and they send it to these centralized hubs, which, which again, really re increases the efficiency, reduces costs. Um, so I think it's a really interesting business. You have to be aware of the cyclicality of, of the industries that they're exposed to. So we've touched on commodities, but they've also do quite a bit in tribology, uh, so oil related stuff. They do pharmaceuticals, food testing, uh, environmental testing. In fact, the, that what they call life science is about 50% of their revenues today, which I think is a much more wow. reliable um, yep. area to be exposed in. And interestingly enough, too, it's it seems you know reasonably priced. The PE is around about 16 at the moment, a yield of about 3%. Analysts seem to be um, centering on a, a consensus forecast of growth of sort of mid-single digits. Um, so it looks pretty interesting. There's a, there's a fair bit of acquisitions in there. Acquisitions represent opportunity, but they also represent risk. And history would, would suggest that most acquisitions don't tend to work out um, that well. Uh, not that they're always dire, but they, they don't necessarily create as much value as they're often touted to do. So something to look out for. But yeah, I, I think it's got a lot going for it. Okay, Michael? Um, look, it's an interesting company. They've got to be commended, I think, in sort of changing their business model so it was less reliant on that mining space. Yeah. Um, historically, I think the mining space of the company made up 65, 70% of revenue um, and of earnings. That has since come down to sort of only 50%. But the problem is shifting towards uh, industrial testing, food testing, environmental testing. The volumes have picked up, but they're not as high margin uh. parts of the business for them. Um, at the moment, the mining space is still struggling despite strong iron ore prices. The fact is there's not as much capex as there was in the past. Even in the last sort of year or so, the amount of capital expenditures come down significantly, which means there's less testing volumes. So for us, it's, we're steering clear of it. They do carry a fair bit of debt on their balance sheet. I think they have about two times net debt to, to EBITDA, which is actually quite high. Um, so their, their net leverage is about 60% or so. So for us, we'll be staying, staying okay. away from it. Although we do commend management on the fact that they have been able to adapt their business and they are a leader in many parts of the world and when it comes to different products. Okay, terrific. Uh, our ninth stock, um, talk about resources. This is uh, an interesting sector, um, Michael um, Ironier, a, a lithium producer with a yep. with a project in Nevada. I must Isn't admit, um, until this morning, I'd never heard of it, no. but uh, did <laughs> some research on it. <laughs> Look, it's definitely a small, specky company. It did incredibly well a couple of years ago when the lithium price was booming. Yep. The lithium price mm. has obviously since come back to the field, as has the share price. But this is a very early stage company. It's in the exploration phase at the moment. They have conducted some, some testing um, and they have found apparently some good quality resources and some good quality assets, but then there's still a long, long way to go until they can commercialize those assets. Not only do they have to find the stuff in the ground, they've then got to extract it at yeah. a decent price. They've got to make sure the infrastructure 
is in place around them to bring the commodity to market. And then after all of that, they've got to hope that the commodity price yep. in the market is holding up. Andrew, are you attracted to Iron Air? Nope. Um, <laughs> Easy. Not, not, even, not even a little bit. Uh, I, 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 the thing is, is it, it's going to be interesting because the company we're mm. going to talk about next yes. is an example of why you might invest in one of these companies because when they go well, they deliver incredible returns. But okay. what you have to remember is it's, it's kind of like the lottery. I mean, most people who play the lottery don't win and so the returns are awful. So if, if you get the right one, by all means, fantastic. If you don't, you're probably going to lose right. a lot of money. These guys, we saw a big spike in their share price. That was all hype. They've never made a sale. They've never made a profit. They've seen a 20-fold <laughs> increase in their shares since 2010, a 20-fold increase. So they're really good at mining, but what they're doing is they're mining shareholders' wallets rather than anything <laughs> tangible at the ground. And, right. you know, it, it's... Compare, the, <laughs> strong compare then... That to our final stock, which is Saracen, uh, a big gold miner. Right. So these guys, are, what's different with these guys are these are a producer. So these actually have a product and they make sales and they make profit. In fact, so when they transition into this phase, we've seen their, their um, earnings grow really, really well, about 50% per year over the past three years. So if you go back five years, if you had bought... Um, this company five years ago, your return is about 1,100%. Wow. It's an incredible that. return. You know, it, it's, it, and this is why people love this space because, man, when you get it right, you know, you do extremely well. Having said that, I've yet to see too many people actually benefit from the success stories because what happens is you often have these long suffering shareholders, they hang in there on this hope. And then finally, things start to go that way and they sell out at a profit. That might be a good profit. It might be 50% or something like that. But no one gets these 1,000% <laughs> returns because, you know, they get start thinking, oh, if I don't sell yeah. now, I'm going to lose this profit. So, Unless you're Twiggy you know, Forest, um, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Twiggy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Would you be yeah. buying Saracen at this price? Continue the ride? Look, it's, it's, not, it's not a point. It's not a pond that, that, that I fish in um, for some of the right. reasons that Michael touched on. It's just, it's just a tough industry. And yeah. that, that's, that's not the, look, each to their own. You've just got to know yourself as an investor and what you like and what your circle of competence is. So it's outside of mine. I did have a quick squeeze at the forecasts. Uh, I don't know who's making these forecasts. So, you know, take it with a, a grain of salt. But um, uh, from what the figures I were looking at, they were expecting their profit to double between FY20 and FY21 and the PEs on, on, on 26. So on, on that high mm. level view, it doesn't look too terrible, but, but I, I'm not buying yep. it. Michael? This is one we actually own for clients, not so much because it's a resources company, but because we don't mind having a bit of gold exposure uh, in this current world, uh, record low yields across the globe at the moment. Obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty. So these high quality gold producers such as Saracen, Evolution and Northern Star have been our preferred picks in that space. We certainly didn't get on Saracen five years ago. It's more sort of 12 months to 18 months. We've done quite well Still done really recently. Well. Um, it's only got sort of two mines in WA. It's got a couple of joint ventures as well. So it's quite a streamlined, simple business to understand. Yep. They've ramped up their production figures significantly in recent years as the gold price has been going up, hence why their earnings have grown so quickly. Basically, they extract the gold from the ground at about 1100 uh, Aussie an ounce and then they sell it for 2,000 Aussie an ounce at the moment. So it's a yeah. pretty big margin that they're getting there. 
They are on the higher end of the spectrum when it comes to costs of production. Those costs of production figures are coming down. But I think the point to take away is when the gold price is rallying like it is and the Aussie dollar has been falling over the last couple of years as it has, the margins are much better. Right. The material benefits much better for a high cost producer than a low cost producer. That's why Saracen has benefited right. probably more than any other gold player. Would you be a buyer now? Uh, it's hard to be a buyer now, but we still think there is some upside in the gold price. Not that we predict gold yeah. prices. We don't believe in the conspiracy theories that the fiat currency system, as we know, it's coming to an end. It's more of a sort of a short-term trading position, right. um, which can give us a bit of a hedge in these uncertain okay. times. But a good company. All right, that brings us to the end of our 10. Uh, just quick recap, integrated research. Yes from Andrew, no from Michael. Uh, both no's on Navigator. Um, AUB, Andrew saying, worth a look. Um, uh, Michael prefers Steadfast. ALS, again, Andrew says, worth a look, no from Michael. Ironeer, both no. Um, Saracen, good company, but too expensive at the moment. Michael, not one from you. Before you go, what's one stock that you like? At the moment, <laughs> um, off the top of my head, we don't mind Aristocrat Leisure. We think that oh, one is one to okay. keep an eye on. Their report's coming up, I think, tomorrow, actually. Yeah. So another one that reports out of cycle. Obviously, it's got a lot of exposure to the poker machines industry, which yeah. might not be everyone's cup of tea, but their business is expanding very quickly in the digital online gaming space. <laughs> All right. Uh, Andrew Page from Strawman. Great to see you. Go and check out the, uh, the website, the Investment Club, if you're interested in following Andrew. And uh, also Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Good to see you. Thank you. If you want to send us some stocks that you like, you can uh, email us. The call at osbiz.com.au or our Twitter handle, do it through Twitter, um, at osbiztv. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.